Listeners, start your engines. Episode 25, Kermit the Frog here. Find more episodes of this show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and other podcatchers, as well as crickettable.com. On this episode, Rob is joined by Stephen Fodor of Too Much Scrolling to talk about my feature film debut, 1979's The Muppet Movie. 43 years after its release, does the film still hold up, and what standard does it hold for future Muppet movies? That's the focus of this latest mega-series, but first, let's jump into a little bit of the trailer and then jump into Rob and Steve's conversation about the Muppet movie! Yay! For anyone who has ever dreamed of fame and fortune at the end of the rainbow, this is one of the greatest success stories of all time. Proving once and for all that anyone can make it, no matter how young, no matter how green. The lovers, the dreamers, All it took was a dream. Hollywood. You sing, you tell jokes, you can make millions of people happy. Millions of people happy. The road was long. But never lonely. It was dangerous. But never dull. Filled with unshakable friendship. Come with us to Hollywood. When you get rich and famous, maybe we'll show up and exploit your wealth. <laughs> Unforgettable faces. I just gotta catch up with those guys. And unexpected romance. Never before. She was a temperamental beauty. An unmarried woman. And a gorgeous pig. Welcome to Franchise Detours, where we believe no movie series travels in a straight line. On this episode, we are starting a new mega series, All Things Muppets, which, you know, I, I, I'm of the mindset that every day should have a little Muppet in it. So this is definitely a franchise I'm looking forward to digging into. And of course, we're going to kick off with 1979's The Muppet Movie. And I am honored to welcome to the show, Stephen Fodor. Welcome to the podcast. Hi-ho, Rob! <laughs> I was even like hedging my bets. I'm like, should I burst out the Kermit impression? Should I save that down the line? And you're just like, nope, we're going right into it. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. What are you doing, Steve? Third. Doing great, man. It is the summertime. The living is easy. Watching Muppets and talking Muppets from 43 years ago, my friend. I know. Seriously. That's insane. It's wild. It's wild that this this movie has been around for so long. And wow, what the Muppets have become since this film. I mean, you know, younger people listening, obviously, I was actually born a few years after this movie, but it's it, it even predates this film. We had, the, as we'll get into, The Muppet Show and all of that. So first of all, tell people a little bit about who you are and talk about too much scrolling, and then we'll, we'll get into your, your Muppet history. 
Too Much Scrolling is my podcast. We've been running for eight years, coming up on our eighth anniversary this July. We do a movie of the week and a book of the week reviewing pop culture from around the world. We have lots of great interviews with lots of great people, authors mostly, mostly authors. Authors have some, they have words for things, Rob. It's really fun to listen Amazing. to people. That have something to say. Actors generally don't have anything to say. They are they have to be given words. So actor interviews are boring, but authors, people who do the writing, that's our, our big focus. Chip and I have been putting out a show every Tuesday for eight years. We haven't skipped one, and we're just having fun, just getting started, really. Excellent. That's super cool. What is what are some of your maybe favorite episodes or something that a good entry point for? For newbies who missed out on the first eight years of content. The the one that we've been focusing on the last few weeks has been our interview with Audrey Niffenager, the author of The Time Traveler's Wife, the recent HBO series that took that story in a totally different direction. A lot of people should be watching some beautiful romance and wonderful love story that is The Time Traveler's Wife. And if you haven't read that book yet, I really, really strongly recommend it. That was adapted into a film as well a few years ago, I remember. Nope, that doesn't exist. It, it, it has, <laughs> oh, okay. It, no. I have heard, I, nope. I haven't seen it. And I, I guess I, I now that you're doesn't reacting exist. this way, nope. I, I, I forgot. Neither do the it, prequels. It's been expunged. There are no prequels to Star Wars and that movie does not exist. Nope. Wait, there's no there's no Disney Plus series either? I didn't just finish watching six uh, episodes of Obi-Wan Kenobi? There's There's one good episode of Obi-Wan Kenobi. It's the last one. It's I it's the best one for sure. We can agree on that. Uh, I just I'm said this out loud to my wife earlier. If there if the Obi-Wan Kenobi series was the young Leia series and there was a guardian over her other than Obi-Wan Kenobi, that would have been a better story. I wanted that mm. young Leia story instead of that Obi-Wan Kenobi story. Well, we're we're already on our first tangent, but I I mean, you're right. To a certain extent, the Obi-Wan Kenobi just doing any story in between, it's already sort of not not diluting the canon, not chain, not even really retconning, but like recontextualizing everything, which is good and bad, unnecessary, definitely. Mm-hmm. I think it adds some dimension to certain things, but it's also, the, it, it sort of ends in the same place that it began to a certain extent, other mm-hmm. than, you know, spoiler. Kind of the definition of a prequel though, isn't it? Yeah, sort of. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's not much more you can do. Nobody's, you know, him and Vader are still at a standstill. Because they meet again to duel for no, it is now going to be, I guess, the fourth time. Remember uh, the last in, time we duel? From a certain point of view, our right, duels exactly. have been many. Hello there. <laughs> Feeling a presence I haven't felt since, what was that, a couple of years ago? If you want to know. Yeah. 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 reunion? Oh, yeah, it was lovely. So but now, the Muppets. Okay. But the Muppets. So, so do you, before we get into your Muppet history, now that we've opened this can of worms, do you have a revisionist take on the Muppets? Are you like, nope, nope, that doesn't exist. What would Muppet properties don't exist? And then well, we'll you've get asked to, me to, to rank the theatricals at the end, but there are I, several TV movies that, that do not exist. A very merry Muppet Christmas movie from 2002 does not exist, right. along with the Muppet Wizard of Oz from 2005. Those do not exist. I, I actually kind of enjoy the Christmas one. It's not anywhere near. It's like ridiculously low-tier Muppets compared to what we're going to talk about today. But yeah, I agree with you. Muppets Wizard of Oz, it never happened. I I really, that's where I draw the line. I'm like, no, this sucks. Like, there's nothing redeeming about this. 
Like there's elements in in the Christmas one that I'm like, okay, I see what they're going for. Call back to this kind of a wonderful life play there. And it's like, okay, it's a TV a movie, movie. So I, it's not really a Christmas movie. It it is for the last like two minutes when it's the, a New Year's movie. It is not a Christmas movie. That's a good take. Yeah. No, I can I can get on board with that. It's it's also more thematically, I think, aligned with New Year's mm-hmm. reevaluating re- your life and mm-hmm. and the difference you made in people's people around you and stuff. No, but Muppets Wizard of Oz, yeah. No, not into that. Anything, anything else? What about the UBC, what is it, 2015 series that ran for one season? Did you even catch that? I, I didn't even bother with that. I, I knew going into that, that that was not going to work out. I, I did give it a try. The first episode, I did give it a try. I, I just want the music and the mirth of these characters to shine through as it does in the original. Well, that's the, the side of doing this mega series that is probably going to bum me out a little bit because going through these eight films even, you can see a lot of how... This this movie has such a, a crystallization of what Jim Henson's vision is for these characters and Frank Oz and Richard Hunt and Dave Goals, et cetera, et cetera. But it's also it, it it's it the it, there is this is rated PG, but there's a certain edginess and sort of subversion and sort of, you know, it toes the line between being kid friendly, but not for not made specifically for kids, where it's a, it's a, it works for all audiences on different levels. And you you get to Disney's acquisition of the Muppets certainly later on in in the 2010s or even Muppet Christmas Carol. As much as I love that movie, it it feels a little a little more sanitized, a little more clean in in that regard. Is, would you agree with that? Well, that was Jim Henson's vision for these characters. Right. Was this was a subversive counterculture puppet show? This was never intended for children. He had the children's show. The Sesame Street puppets were fine and and educational. Muppet Show was always about subverting culture, having a counterculture, and he really nailed it in the Muppet Show from 1976 to 1981. And then this big theatrical version of the Muppet show is spectacular. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So what is your jumping on point for the Muppets at this point? Is it the, is it the Muppet show? Like I would assume. Yes. Yes. I was, I was born in 1974, my friend. And so I was two years old when the Muppet show hit the airwaves and it was absolutely appointment television in my house. I, I have a, very fond recollection of being at my grandparents' house on one of the nights that the Muppet Show was on and and demanding television time to watch the Muppet Show because it was a part of my life from a very young age. So if you do the math, 1979, I was four and a half years old when this movie hit the theaters and I certainly was in attendance at that point. I don't recall it. I don't remember being four and a half years old, but I... I this is a part of who I am. This movie and the messages about culture and the messages about music and friendship and all the other great themes that come up in all of this silly counterculture puppet show. Yeah. This is and that is why, even as an adult, the I think the Muppets have lingered so much for me is that the older you get, sort of the more you appreciate not only in the, the intelligence that goes into the humor and the skill that goes into creating these characters and bringing them to life, even though, yes, they're, you know, they're puppets, 
and they don't blink and they have limited expression and all this stuff. They come to life and it's sort of a a, a magic trick that that Henson and company are, are able to pull off routinely. But it's it's exactly what you're saying. It's it's the messages, it's the themes, it's the it's the the hope, the optimism, the positivity that they exude. They, to me, the Muppets represent basically all that is good in the world, kind of. And that's why I think that this, this franchise is so important to a lot of people, including us, is that it's not only funny and and clever, but it, it represents something that's kind of important to keep to, to keep that flame going for for the oncoming generations in a way, in a way that a lot of other you know children's entertainment really isn't. It's even though the Muppets have been obviously much more corporatized since Disney has purchased the you know Muppet Studios and these characters. Uh, that that's sort of that flicker of 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 what Jim Henson was going for. I think. That's always what we're constantly looking for and hoping for in these productions. And which is why when things like the Very Merry Muppet Christmas movie and Muppets Wizard of Oz, both of which don't exist, fall so, so hard and not even trying to do that. It, it's just such a bummer. I, and you brought up a, an important point there about how these are puppets and how we, the audience, see them as characters. As a kid, I never thought about the details about how they made these puppets move, how this action happened on the screen. You know, there's lots of guest stars that have told stories about being on the Muppet show over the years. And one of the things that is constant is that those actors forget that they are acting with puppeteers. They are interacting with the puppets and those puppets have such emotions, such character that it's easy to forget about the practical piece of how are we going to get these things to move and look like they're really doing what they're doing. I, looking back now as an adult watching this movie in preparation for your show, Rob, I, I looked a little bit more at, at those moments that happened, like the opening scene of the Muppet movie where Kermit is walking down the aisle of a theater and greeting all of his friends. It's stunning to think about how they made that happen. The visual effect, the absolute fully practical visual effect of this puppet walking down an aisle and seeing all of these other puppets in the same room and greeting them. And so many of the puppets are Frank Oz's puppets. And yeah. how did they get the sound of that man's voice through that puppet, even though that man was probably not under that puppet at that moment. It, it's it's brilliant filmmaking and storytelling. Yeah, no, it, it is. And you already kind of touched on one of my favorite things about the Muppets as an institution is that these aren't characters. They these It's like Paul Rubens created the character of Pee Wee Herman, which I, we, I did an episode on recently. That's why it's fresh in my head. He would show up on talk shows, make cameos in other movies as Pee Wee Herman, you know? And so the fact that Miss Piggy and Kermit the Frog, Gonzo, Fozzie, and all these characters, they aren't characters in a movie. They're actors. They're, they exist in the real world. They're pop culture presences where they would show up on, you know, Hollywood squares or, or on a talk show or on like the, you know, the, the Disney, like the Christmas parade. Or recently in the last few years, Kermit showed up on The Masked Singer. I mean, for goodness sake. You know, and holy moly. I don't know if you're, you're aware of Holy Moly, but it's a very silly mini golf 
show and the Muppets were on that because it's a Disney yeah. property, of course. Yeah, of course, of course. And it's My- corporate synergy, but it's also like, I'm not, I'm not ever going to turn down the opportunity to see the Muppets pop up somewhere unexpected. I will watch the Today Show. One of my favorite stories is Elmo showed up on the Today Show to do a cooking segment. And the the host of the Today Show is talking to Elmo about cooking. And Elmo is giving these improv answers. And and Elmo tells the the host, put in more. It should be spicier. And the, the host goes, oh, I didn't know you liked spicy food, Elmo. And Elmo... Elmo looks at the host and says, why do you think Elmo got no eyelids? <laughs> and the host cracked up. That is not something you were expecting to hear out of Elmo's mouth in the Today Show. Elmo right. has no eyelids because he likes spicy food. That's canon. I was just about to say, yeah, that that's going to be in the, you know, Sesame Street wiki somewhere. That's, that it's been, it's been confirmed why he doesn't have eyelids. But yeah, brilliant. It, it's it, that's the at their core. This isn't this is a comedy troupe, the mm-hmm. Muppets. Essentially, that's that's their that's their vibe. I would that's say how I would they're say musical theater. I would say musical yeah, theater troupe. Musical, it, it, musical as, comedy. I would. It's kind of both. I would say. Well, this is the transition in showbiz from vaudeville of the early 1900s into the entertainment that we enjoyed in the 1980s. This is the group that is putting on that vaudeville act, those sketch comedy sorts of pieces put together with music. Also, anything can happen. Anything can happen on the Muppet stage. But as a person who puts on musical theater, this is one of the reasons why I do musical theater. I watched Kermit the Frog, not Jim Henson, Kermit the Frog putting together a show, being the producer, being being just beside himself when it doesn't go well and being angry when something goes wrong. I put on musicals and I become Kermit the Frog for those moments. That's yeah, that's and, and that's a testament to this character and how how the impact this has had on you. I mean, I for me, delving into my Muppet history real fast, I was born in 1983. So I this existed in the world prior to me, but my big entry point I think was the Muppets Take Manhattan because I was in diapers when that came out, and that was the movie as a, a toddler that I would make my mom put on over and over and over again. Touch speaking to your musical theater thing, that's literally the Muppets on Broadway. So I, that was really my entry point. And I've seen that one a lot more as a kid, but this is the one as an adult that I've revisited probably the most. This and the, the Christmas Carol. What do you, what, first of all, what, what do you think about the way that they take the Muppet show and they transition into a movie? Like what elements of the Muppet show are necessi- necessary for them to carry over into a movie like how how does this work as an adaptation of that series this works incredibly well on that this is the prequel to that Muppet show in the midst of the Muppet show airing this is the story behind the story this is the behind the scenes of making the Muppet show the characters getting together finding friendship finding a way to put together a show even in the face of Doc Hopper trying to to squash whatever dreams Kermit has. It's it works incredibly well, and the timing is fascinating. How many TV shows can you 
point to that get a theatrical movie in the middle of their run. The Simpsons had their movie, and more recently, Bob's Burgers had their theatrical release of an episode of that show. But this is something incredibly special to see that behind the scenes, to think about these characters as real in this world, interacting with humans. This is this is special. Yeah, it's the first time I think the Muppets are just exist in the world. That it's just it it creates a world not unlike something like Who Framed Roger Rabbit, where oh, by the way, did you didn't know cartoons and humans just hang out together? They just coexist in you know in the way that now I guess in the Jurassic Park franchise, dinosaurs just roam the world. That's just a normal thing that happens in this in this world. The Muppets are just you know existing throughout the world. And this is kind of them stringing along together, which already, I've already bought in on that premise. First of all, I already just spent several minutes talking about how much I love that they just pop up in our world all the Mm -hmm. time. And the framing device here, I I agree with you. Like it's, if you're going to make a movie, that show is very clearly about them putting on a show. So why not make a movie about them literally making a movie? Them private screening of the Muppet movie they're watching themselves as they're coming together. It's culminating at the end. Speaking of how self-referential the Muppets are in general, at the end, they're literally making the movie that they're that we're watching and that they're watching. It's so you know, many levels to it. And the Electric Mayhem have a copy of the script, and that's how they know where their the rest of the Muppets are, is because they read the script. It is yeah. so it, it it gives the audience that moment where they break the fourth wall in such a joyous way and make us a part of the adventure. Yes, absolutely. And there's multiple times where characters directly address camera or, you know, Kermit's just like, oh, good grief, a running, a running gag. A running uh, gag. But all of that stuff. I love all of that. It's it's so much fun. And ironically, you know, something that Mel Brooks, who's in this movie, would I think he does something very similar in Robin Hood Men in Tights, which is a movie I like a lot, where they're like, wait a minute, I lose? That's not in the script. And they literally all, everyone in the movie takes out their copy of Robin Hood Men in Tights, the screenplay. So yeah, I, lo- I love all that Baseballs stuff. as well. They, they check they, out the yeah, VHS oh my God. of Spaceballs to see How do what's going to happen in the movie. First. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Same, Blazing same Saddles, gag. which is before this, they're literally like break coming out of the, it's you know colliding with the fact that they're in a movie, all of that. Yes. I, love, I love all that stuff. It's, it, it, it brings the cameos as well, which I think is another key part. So every, literally every sort of small one scene character is a, is a, you know, a famous actor or musician or comedian or whatever. Uh, you have mostly a, on the comedians. This is, exactly. it's a veritable who's who of 1979 comedy. I mean, there so, is just, and, and it runs the gambit on the different types of comedy that were, out there in the world in 1979, starting with Dom DeLuise in the in the beginning as Bernie, Bernie the agent, meet Artie the alligator. Read my lips, Hollywood, all of that stuff. I love with the two of them. That's the other thing too. In these early movies, Kermit is a little sassy. Like he's got a little like acerbic wit. You know, I think later on he he in some versions of that character's performance, mostly by Steve Whitmire, mm-hmm. he's he's more, you know, wholesome and kind of straight lace. And he's usually the straight man to the crazy stuff happening around him, which is, you know, there's precedent for that on The Muppet Show, obviously. But he's 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 very quick with the comeback in here, just like he is on The Muppet Show. And I think 
that's a side of his personality that that I kind of miss in some interpretations of the character. And I think you are absolutely right. That is the actor. That is Jim Henson's idea of who this character is. Steve Whitmire certainly gave us a, a wonderful post Jim Henson existence with Kermit. And I'm so glad that he was able to fill that role. And, you know, Matt Vogel's doing a Kermit voice currently, and he is Kermit for the Muppets haunted mansion that came out last year. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I love Matt. He's, he's a friend of the show, but He's no Jim Henson. I, I don't know that there will ever be another person who comes out and says, I am going to make a subversive counterculture puppet show for adults. And this is going to be the tone of it. And it make it as perfect as Jim Henson was able to. Right. Yeah. It's, it's also tricky because as, as you sort of alluded to by starting the show with the Kermit impression, like Kermit's voice is so specific. And mm-hmm. Jim Henson, you know, obviously set, set the template for that. And a whole generation has now grown up with Steve Whitmire as doing that voice from what, like 1992 until what, 2017 or whatever, whatever, whenever the, the turn, the handoff happened there with Matt Vogel. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's a big shoes to step into. So it's, it's going to, it might take a little time for, you know, Matt, Matt to really, win fans over in that regard just because it's just like it's you know we all have that imprinted in our head of what Kermit's supposed to sound like so and everything else pales in comparison that that's just yeah. what it comes down to is, is yeah the pretty much. character the emotion the anime the anima of that character being something that came from Jim Henson it, it, everything's going to pale in comparison yeah that's true it's true. I feel like we're on a we're on a Kermit train. I feel like we should just ride the Kermit train down a little bit. To, uh, <laughs> down to down to the swamp. So let's start with the Rainbow Connection. Most perfect song ever, maybe up there. I it's it's one of those it's one of those songs that I'm, you know, gonna be I'm actually as of this recording gonna be 39 in a, a couple of days. So it's it's literally one of the songs that if I listen to, I'll I'll it'll like elicit an emotional response sometimes welling up depending how into it I am but it's just what is it about this song that makes it so perfect obviously Oscar nominated Paul Williams score in general we should just shout out the score and the songs that that he that he came up with incredible the high watermark watermark for the Muppet franchise I feel like it's still the best Muppet music we've ever gotten comments on the music or Rainbow Connection in in particular why is this thing still so amazing the message of the whole movie, the message of the Rainbow Connection is the the individual can make things happen. Regardless of what opposition you run into, regardless of, of the big corporation, Disney, the, regardless of whatever other things get in your way, you you can do it. That is a beautiful message. I would, I would argue with you that the best Kermit song is it's not easy being green, which is a very counterculture subversive song about race relations and personal feelings about who you are and being proud of who you are. But rainbow connection, making connections 
with all of the people that come together to make you who you are and make you successful. There's nothing that you can say negatively about the message of this song. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's powerful in its sort of simplicity. Like it's very, the movie wears its, it's hard on its sleeve and it's very earnest in that regard. And I think that's part of why it, it still hits me in the feels every time I watch this movie and mm-hmm. it opens with a rainbow. It ends with a rainbow. It's very clearly has, it's very clearly has something to say. Jim Henson has something to say. It's not beneath all the, the puns, which we get a, a, a ton of right off the gate in the movie theater, which just feels like a callback to the ballroom scenes in the Muppet show, which I love all of that. You know, he, Sam, the Eagle asked him like, does this, does this movie have any socially redeeming value? And I'm like, yeah, it does. Like so much. I, it's it has so much to say, and I think that's in a way it, it's why other the other follow up movies don't measure up because this one is so so has such a clear point of view and such a clear idea be, behind why why it exists and what it's trying to say. And and the other part about rainbows is following your dreams, chasing that rainbow, trying to find the answer, find the thing that makes you the wonderful person that you are. That message, especially for kids, is something that is very important. Don't worry about the the little things in the way. There's always a rainbow. There's always a, a hope in the sky. And it's, it's pretty amazing to think that this again, subversive, is giving us joy in 1979. Such a hippie thing to do, Jim Henson. How uh, is it? Uh, are you a hippie? <laughs> what, what gave it away? And the, the electric mayhem and like so much of what's going on with these characters? Um, <laughs> no, there's yeah. There's so it, many. There's so much. There's so much going on. Like it's, it's I, I love the rainbow connection. I love the, the, the end song, The Magic Store, which we might as well touch on now. That whole sequence is so beautiful. It, it's, you, you know, you, like I said, you're watching the movie of them make the movie that, they're, that we're all watching, we're all experiencing together. That phrase, life's like a movie, make your own ending, like this is mm-hmm. burned into my head. Like as a movie person, it's, it, it's, it really sort of empowers the viewers to sort of, it, there's an aspirational side of it to pursue your dreams, like you were saying to come together like there's so much again there's so much so many wholesome and positive messages in all the like the anarchy and the absurdity and, and the, the goofiness of, of these characters and and how lovable they are and how they all band together in this way plus it, it all works as sort of a meta commentary on Jim Henson himself talking about look you know it literally at the end all the Muppets that pretty much 250 Muppets show up Pretty much every character he's had a hand in creating, they all gather together. I got that pun. I got that pun, Rob. He had a hand in. Nice. <laughs> Unintentionally. See, it just happens when you have your head in the in the Muppet space. It just happens. It's it, it's it's the reason that anytime there's a group of Muppets together, it it gets me emotional because this moment is so beautiful and so perfect and speaking directly to the to the to the audience. Like, look. It's not even Kermit at that point. It's Kermit and it's Jim Henson saying, look, you know, keep believing, keep pretending. We just did what we set out to do. It's him and his and Jim Henson and all his team and Kermit and all the Muppets saying, look, look at what we've created together. Look at look how amazing this is. 
and a huge credit to Paul Williams for that music because yes. as, as much as I admire the the lyrics that probably Jim Henson was the main thrust for, the music from Paul Williams absolutely is award-worthy music. This music again 43 years old is so special it, it, it there's no other muppet movie where the music is presented in such a perfect way as this original yeah no i i agree completely i would say like easily the probably the top five muppet songs in any of these movies that i'm going to talk about on this podcast probably almost if not all of them comes directly from this movie and it's not even a question. The only one that comes close would be for me, probably Muppet Christmas Carol, which again, Paul Williams did the music, did the songs for. So <laughs> I don't know. There's just something about, he just gets these characters and, mm -hmm. and knows how to tap into that emotionality in a way that, that other, you know, other songwriters just haven't been able to, I guess. There's two songs that we haven't mentioned yet. There's, I hope something better comes along. The, the duet with Rolf and Kermit singing together, both Jim Henson, by the way, and just all of the puns that are in this great heartfelt message about relationships. It's, mm -hmm. it's amazing that they were able to put that together, just punning the whole time. I, I just love the jokes about, dog things that Rolf sings about and the take the, myself the, for a walk <laughs> a new leash on life oh sorry mm -hmm. two three four yeah and, and the jokes in there about relationships this again is not a children's story this is for adults thinking about how relationships between men and women work in the late 1970s and going forward this is a part of my thinking whenever i think about my wife and and the the struggles that we have in our relationship come down to rolf singing with kermit about their struggles yeah and like you said these are these are not puppets in a kids movie these are real characters they have they have dating issues they you know ralph ralph is like oh i get off work i have a couple of beers walk i take myself for a walk and go to bed you know they drink alcohol they have they go on dates they have jobs they get tired and grumpy like they you know, it's, it, it's all a part of what makes them feel real is that they let them have that personality. And I think it's it, it's also a shame because I Ralph has kind of gotten sidelined in the last, you know, 10, 15, 20 years or whatever of Muppet content. And I like I'd like a little a little Ralph renaissance, a Ralph essence to happen. But the line in the Muppets, the Jason Stiegel Muppets movie yeah. where they pick up Ralph and and he's just napping on the front porch and they get him in the car and go, yeah, all right. I'll, I'll do yeah, you want to come? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love that. I love that. More Ralph. We need more Ralph in our life. Yeah. That's a great song. Believe me, we'll get to, we'll get to the other ones. I just feel like since we were on Rainbow Connection, Magic Store is kind of a, you know, it's kind of a twofer there. Such a beautiful so bookend. It is. To it is. start the movie with Rainbow Connection and to finish it with a reprise of that idea of the Rainbow Connection and adding to it the idea of the magic store. It, it's it's amazing to think that 
this might be some of the best bookends in music history. That's a quote that we got from one of our Twitter listeners. Next to the aisle is the name of the show. And Jamie Garwood is the guy. He said that this might be the best bookend in movie history. Yeah, I think so. And it, and it works because of the theme, because of what we're saying. It thematically makes the whole film, brings the whole film together and strings it along. And, it, and, and since we're on the Kermit thing, it's another part that I really love about his journey in this story is when he, when he meets, when he meets Dom DeLuise in the swamp, he isn't, he isn't even, he's not even, his goal is not even really to be rich and famous. What attracts him and why, what always makes my heart melt whenever I watch this movie is he sits there and he ruminates and he's like, hmm, millions of people happy that he's like, I can bring joy to the world. Not, mm. oh yeah. No, he's not, he's not Pepe. He's not like, I will get all the monies. You know, he's not into that. He's like, no, oh, millions of people happy. Like that his whole thing is I can, I have the power to bring joy, to bring positive energy, to bring happiness to people. I can't, you know, if I, you know, I sure miss this old swamp, you know, he's, he can he considers it selfish to stay there. So he's like, well, I kind of owe it if I, if I'm able to do that and perform and, and make, bring, bring that light into the world. I kind of, ha I, 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 I have to do that. And I love and that. That's about why him. you have a podcast. <laughs> that's why to I have, bring, uh, <laughs> to bring happiness to millions of people. Yeah, that's, that's that is the message. That is your driving force in why you do what you do. You don't do it for the money. There's no reason why you would want money for your podcast. You're giving away joy, giving away happiness, and you can't do it by yourself. That's one of the big themes of this story. We have something special to contribute and we can't do it alone. There's no way to do the big idea of of making millions of people happy all by yourself yeah no that's why you're here steve i needed us needed assistance i needed someone to talk to about the muppet movie that's the whole i make point. a lot that's of people weird. happy and i teach yeah, school exactly. and in that in school i don't make a lot of the people happy but some people you need another way to do it you need another yeah you need another another venue for that yeah no it's 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 true I mean, for them it's performing for for that you know for other people it might be something else whatever it is go for your dreams it's the whole message you know it's like it starts when we're kids i show up at school like i have the i know the whole i'm not going to do it but i i you know it's burned yeah. into my head because it's so impactful the other kermit thing i want to talk about is obviously the the way it's shot it's it's so beautiful the cinematography in this movie his reflection in the water during rainbow connection kermit riding a bicycle <laughs> which we sort of i think kind of alluded to earlier already about how what they're able to pull off from a puppeteering perspective in this movie with full body shots of, of Fozzie on stage and Kermit riding the bike. And, and, you know, these characters live and breathe in our world. They're not, you know, they're, they're not waist up all the time. I think it's, it's so impressive, something that had never been done before. And, you know, kudos to Jim Henson and everyone involved for really pushing kind of, I guess, the technology or what techniques they had at their disposal at the time. Just back to Rainbow Connection, just the idea of Kermit sitting on that log and Jim Henson under the water in a specially designed box to operate this puppet, to give the world this image of this frog sitting on a log seems so simple in its 
execution, but my God, can you imagine how much effort had to go into putting that just that one set piece that's on screen for five minutes, mm-hmm. just that it's, a. I love the idea of Fozzie driving the Studebaker. The fact that a driver was sitting in the trunk of that car and operating that car so that we, the audience don't think about how this is happening. I don't know if you're familiar, but Disney does a series called prop culture on Disney plus and they found the Studebaker that they used for the Muppet movie and looked at it. Uh, this, this episode happens to feature Joel Hodgson, the creator of mystery science theater 3000, which is why I watched it. Okay. Stop. But yes, you, <laughs> prop culture, looking at the, the mechanics of this silly kids movie. No, it, it, there's a lot of things like that in this movie. They built a like 60 foot animal head for the for the climax because Jim okay. Henson didn't want to just do a miniature. Yes, go ahead. They should have done a miniature. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I'm not saying it wouldn't work either way, but I'm saying the level of commitment is is impressive. Is my point. This is the one piece of this movie that I look at now in 2022 and I go, why did they bother building the giant animal head that doesn't really move like animal moves? They could have done that in miniature. Star Wars did such great things with miniature in 1977 and they certainly knew that they could have done it in miniature. But yeah, Jim Henson decided he wanted the biggest puppet he has ever seen scene and he got that they made it happen i don't know if it's a guinness world record but maybe it is maybe that's what he's like we're gonna get the muppets in the guinness book world's biggest puppet 60 foot animal head which where is that thing that i want the prop culture episode of that like where's the giant animal head to some some Disney exec have it like on the top of their mansion or something like what? I am sure that that did not last very long. <laughs> knowing, knowing props and sets as I do, when we build such things, they are built for use for that day. And if they fall down the next day, nobody's surprised. It it's probably looks horrific now. It's like the eyeballs are all hanging out and it's like decayed. Yeah, no, I, it's, it's crazy that, that he, he really wanted to get that shot of Kermit on the log playing his banjo and, you know, it's it, it's it makes the movie feel cinematic. It makes mm-hmm. it feel different than the Muppet movie. It, it makes it feel bigger in scope right out the gate when you see Kermit the Frog in his element, in his natural habitat, as opposed to Fozzie's natural habitat, which is the Studebaker. Studebaker. And, 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 you know, I think that's it's it's amazing. It's incredible what he was able to pull off. So then we he heads to the Elslizo, which, you know, what a a cornucopia of cameos just in that sequence. James Coburn, Madeline Kahn, I think still in Lily Von Stupp, Von Stupp mode for Blazing Saddles. Paul Williams himself. And this is where we meet Fozzie. And Fozzie is, this movie establishes, and I, I don't know, I guess the Muppet Show touched on this as well, but establishes Kermit and Fozzie as best friends, as like the duo. Is that something you, you're more well-versed in the Muppet Show than I am? Is that is that canon in the Muppet world before? prior to this or is this movie sort 100%. of officially it is okay 100% anytime anytime that i could see jim henson and frank oz on screen 
playing with puppets. Ernie and Bert, Statler and Waldorf. Time that those two guys were together on screen, I knew that I was going to get something special. And yes, Piggy and Kermit are Frank Oz and Jim Henson. And Fozzie and Kermit are Frank Oz and Jim Henson. And those two guys, I, I can't imagine friendship being stronger than the two of them. They disagreed sometimes, but they worked together so well in all of those times. I, I, I love watching any puppetry that involves the two of them together. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, it's the Jim Henson and Frank Oz are the only like Muppet performers uh, or like the only major original Muppet performers to direct any of these films. Obviously mm -hmm. Jim Henson with the next one and Frank Oz with Muppets Take Manhattan. So I think there's, yeah, there's, they're, they're so integral to this whole thing. And, uh, you know, with that, we also get sort of the introduction of Doc Hopper, which is the KFC-esque, you know, corporate satire. But I love that the whole basis for this subplot, or I guess it's, yeah, I guess it's kind of a subplot running throughout, is that Kermit is so likable. He's like, no, I, I need to have him as the spokesman for my company because look, you know, even Fozzie's like, oh, you're, you are, you are likable. You're, you know, and nobody can, can resist Kermit the Frog. He'll, he'll make this company like. I'm a great businessman, but I make a terrible frog. But you, Mr. Th Mr. The Frog, you make a terrific frog. Yeah. Yeah. And I think Charles Durning gets a lot of, I think we need to give him some props too for, for really selling this character and as, you know, the principal human actor in this movie. He, he really does a great job as the villain. He is so versatile. There's so many great roles that Charles Durning goes on to play after this and before. And he's, he's villainous in just a, a corporate greed sort of feeling very much against the idea of the Muppets and their talent making people happy. He's not out to make people happy. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. That's the, the Muppets are the counter. He's the culture and the Muppets are fighting against the man, essentially. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's the setup for the, you know, that's kind of the, the, I guess, prime Muppet premise is Muppets versus the man, essentially. In the Muppets, the 2011 movie, which is insanely inspired or whatever you want to call it by this, they're up against a big oil baron that's trying to tear down the, the Muppet theater. So it's a similar sort of vibe. And uh, I think this establishes that as, as the, the Muppet ethos really out, you know, out the gate, even more so than, than the Muppet show does. So back to cameos, I think my favorite cameo is Edgar Bergen as himself with Charlie McCarthy playing judges at the County fair. This is Edgar Bergen's final film role. He died very soon after this. And he is one of the inspirations that Jim Henson really understood how puppets can have that, that personality by watching or in, in the beginning, listening to Edgar Bergen on the radio. Can you imagine, can you imagine Rob, can you imagine a ventriloquist act on the radio? That was Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, it's the movie's even dedicated to him at the end. Mm -hmm. There's a dedication to Edgar Bergen, and it's it's a really lovely sort of, I guess, final hat tip to him to have him. And he did wear him and and Charlie McCarthy both wore very tall hats. So, you know, it, it's very a lovely hat, hat tip. tip. 
<laughs> it's a very tall hat to, to him. So, you know, it's a, it's a nice little passing of the torch in a way as well to have him in here and have this be his, his final screen appearance. Yeah, the future of puppetry certainly started with The Muppet Show. Uh, Jim Henson was doing puppetry before The Muppet Show, but the, something special happened with that particular group of stories that were being told. And they, they, it's just gone on from there. So many people have been inspired to become puppeteers as a result of Jim Henson's work. And Jim Henson was inspired by Edgar Bergen. We get Bob Hope as an ice cream vendor at the county fair, followed immediately by Richard Pryor as the balloon vendor. You can't get two much more opposite people in the comedy world in 1979. It was pretty startling to go from the Bob Hope style of comedy into the very different Richard Pryor style of comedy. Yeah, yeah. And I love his, his, his like, uh, kind of hustles Gonzo to buy all the balloons. He's like, "Oh, ladies, go Gaga for it!" Like, I love his. I love the way that that so that a lot of the cameos really lean into the the uh, the absurdity of of whatever situation they're in. Like Richard Pryor with the balloons, Steve Martin. I mean, come on, well, Steve Martin okay. is just like, "Oh, may I?" Like, I I like. Well, that's a hilarious. character that Steve Martin played previous. Yeah. That is the bumbling yeah. waiter is 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 a Steve Martin character that he brought to this. Richard Pryor's character is different. I do yeah. love the interplay between Bob Hope and Fozzie Bear. There's something amazing about that particular comedy that very vaudeville Fozzie Bear and Bob Hope giving him two ice cream cones, one honey for the bear and one grasshopper for the frog. Is it Firefly? What is it? Dragonfly, Dragonfly, Dragonfly. Ripple. Dragonfly Ripple. Yeah. And Bob Hope says to Fozzie Bear, don't mix those up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I love it. I love it. I want to also, since we mentioned Steve Martin real fast, in that scene, Kermit and Piggy's first date, they're again because these are real characters and not puppets in a kids movie. They are drinking champagne, and they Piggy literally drinks the champagne. They set it up so that the glass drains while they're in the scene. Again, little touches like that they go the extra mile to make these characters feel like they're real and interacting with their environments and not just, you know. Love any time a puppet opens a door. I love every mm -hmm. time a puppet touches a phone. The, the way that that has to work, they have to cut, they have to put the phone into the hand, they have to get it done. There's a moment where Kermit opens and closes a door at the end of the restaurant scene. And I'm just fascinated to watch what we actually see and what didn't happen that we are that we are supposed to think happened he never moves his hand when he opens the door door opens he comes around the door and then the door closes it's fascinating there's a moment speaking of the ice cream where Fozzie hands the ice cream cone he's handing it to Kermit and Kermit reaches for it and then cuts to Miss Piggy running over with her bags Mm -hmm. to go with them to Hollywood. And then it cuts back and Kermit's holding the ice cream. And it's like little, like, I see what you did there, guys. I got it. A little, little editing. Film yeah. editing is the real magic. The real magic of any movie. If you've ever seen the movie Caddyshack, very silly, 
full of comedians movie. When they were filming that, they had no idea how to make a movie. This was their first foray into filmmaking. They were just sitting back and laughing at Rodney Dangerfield because he was just being hilarious. It was in the editing that they put together a story and made it the movie that it is. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it, it's, it, it's incredible. It's, it's amazing in this movie that, that they're able to do that. The little, the little touches like that, little details are amazing to me. I want to talk back it up a little, cause we, we mentioned Fozzie and Kermit's friendship, but we didn't mention moving right along, which is an epic driving song. And I think establishes a Muppet road movie as sort of a subgenre again, that the 2011 movie sort of taps into a bit, but it, I don't think that it, that, they ever really commit to it in the same way that they do here. What are your, your thoughts on a Muppet road movie and, and moving right along? Like that thing just slaps. Even now, if you go on a road trip, that's gotta be on a playlist in my eyes. Road movies are a genre in and of themselves. We just mentioned Bob Hope. Bob Hope was the king of road movies. Mm -hmm. And that was a genre of the time, or actually it probably had passed by 1979 as a genre. But yeah, I think about that as one of the, the founding pieces of, of my existence. I go on road trips. I am kind of famous for going on road trips and sharing the adventures that our family has on those trips. We, we don't fly places very often. In fact, the, the, the one flight that we had, the, there was a, a tire problem. We had an emergency landing and I said, see, we should have driven. <laughs> the, the road trip movie is a wonderful storytelling device. The adventure that you get to have along the way, the friends that you make along the way, that's the important part. And yes, moving right along is one of my favorite songs on this soundtrack. I, I absolutely adore all the puns in that. Yeah. Fork in the road always stands out to me. We even get a, you know, we even get a big bird cameo again, kind of touching into like these guys just exist. You know, we get a little bit of a big bird origin story in the middle there. And uh, I love the comedy of that. The origin story of Carol Spinney not being a part of the Muppet show because of a misunderstanding with Jim Henson. Jim Henson said to Carol Spinney, you are an amazing puppeteer. You should come and we can have a meeting in my office. And Carol Spinney misunderstood. Carol Spinney thought, oh yeah, he just wants to talk shop. What Jim Henson was saying, and he said it in a way that was misunderstood, was please come to my office for an interview. I want you to be a part of the Muppet show. Carol Spinney didn't understand that misheard him and did not work with Jim Henson for years because he he didn't know that he was invited. That's a great gag in the middle of this movie. Yeah, absolutely. That also kind of touches on something that I wanted to throw out there too. How does how does it make you feel the fact that the Muppets in Sesame Street are like kind of divorced now? Like that they're owned by different corporations. Does that bum you out or you're like, uh, eh, the Muppets are sort of their own thing anyway? Jim Henson always set up those two things as separate. He wanted PBS to use the idea of puppetry for children's programming and kept the Muppets as not children's programming separate from that message. So I'm okay with the idea that those are separate entities. I do love reading about the behind the scenes of the invention of Sesame Street. There's a book called Street Gang that tells the story of 
how it all came together, the, the thoughtful people that decided that they needed to do better children's programming, very much the same way that Mr. Rogers came into educational programming and said, this is wrong. We need to do better for our kids. And the, the very careful research that went into Sesame Street and how Jim Henson showed up in a meeting and the the lady who was in charge of Sesame Street was afraid that he was some sort of hippie that was coming to disrupt the meeting. And everybody said, no, 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 that's Jim Henson. He's here to help. And she was like, oh, what's this dirty, long-haired hippie going to do for our story? Because that was just the time. Right. I, I'm okay with that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, yeah, they, they serve different purposes, like you said. I, mm -hmm. I think there's enough, and they're both going strong today. Like they're both, you know, they're both still relevant. They're both still talked about. They're both still in the zeitgeist. I just, what it's always, me, yeah. What amazes me is how many pictures of Big Bird I have in my collection of things. We, we have Big Bird in all sorts of the Jim Henson memorabilia. I did meet Carol Spinney before he passed away and his lovely wife, they told a great story. They were at a convention in Chicago and they, they were staying in a hotel and in the middle of the night, the fire alarm went off in the hotel and his lovely wife grabbed the Oscar puppet that they happened to have with them. <laughs> that is like the Oscar puppet. And she's walking down the stairs, carrying this enormous suitcase with the Oscar puppet and trying very much to help Carol down the stairs. He's a very elderly man at this point. They get, down the stairs and they're standing outside the hotel and a, and a middle-aged man walks up to Carol and says, I have seen you in my pajamas so many times. I never imagined I would see you in your pajamas, sir. <laughs> wow. That, it was just a wonderful moment. I was so happy that my kids were able to meet him, to have that moment. That, I love conventions. I love going to see these people that I, I admire. Steve Whitmire is now doing the convention circuit since he's no longer puppeteering for the Jim Henson company. And he's got some great stories to tell. Yeah, I bet. I bet. He was, I mean, he played Kermit for about 25 years or something like that and working with Jim Henson and, and the Muppets long before that. So, mm -hmm. yeah, it's also funny because back when I when I was little, like Big Bird was still kind of the preeminent Sesame Street character. This is before Grover and Elmo and all these other characters sort of took prominence. That you know, it makes me makes me think that at some point on on this podcast or on Close Watch, I'm going to have to do a, a follow that bird episode because that's another movie. That was huge for my childhood. Another very, you know, puppet heavy Jim Henson inspired situation that, that was a big, 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 big part of my childhood. So yeah, props to shout out to Big Bird and Carol Spinney. Cause what a what a legacy that character and and you know his specific contribution to Sesame Street was. So I think we, we gotta we have to talk about the electric mayhem. We haven't we kind of mentioned them in passing, but is there is there a facet of the Muppets that more directly embodies the the counterculture vibe of the, this property IP whatever you want to call the Muppets at this point than the Electric Mayhem because I I can't see one if there is. So you're trying to tell me that the Electric Mayhem is kind of the message of the counterculture of the Muppets, huh? Are you trying to say I, that take, music? Hmm. 
What'd you say? It's a hot take. It's a hot take. <laughs> that the music is the thing that can bring us together. And I swear to you, sir, there is no fictional band better than the Electric Mayhem. It is yeah, amazing yeah. that they that the song that they sing is able to bring about storyline, first of all, and the, all of the themes of coming together and working together and being a part of this so out there idea of making people happy can you picture that can you picture a future where we work together in such a way that we can change the world it's like it's the the sentiment of john lennon's imagine but like but muppetized it's like can you picture that imagine there's no you know heaven it's easy if you try kind of thing you know it's it's sort of that idea uh, funkier Ah. Yeah, yeah, and a lot funkier. Yeah. So the basis of the Electric Mayhem is Dr. Hook, their, their song from October of 1972, the cover of the Rolling Stone is a song written by Shel Silverstein, and you can hear it. You can hear how Jim Henson heard the Electric Mayhem in this Shel Silverstein lyric, wacky, psychedelic level song. I need to check this out now. Oh, you will hear, you will hear the electric mayhem's origin in this song. There's, there's a drummer that sounds like animal. The main singer sounds like Dr. Teeth. His name is Dr. Hook, which just happens to happen to have a doctorate. Uh-huh. Mm -hmm. Sure. Uh-huh. And it, it's <laughs> just a, a psychedelic funk masterpiece that's what our listener glenda leslie told us on twitter it's just so perfect and again works on so many different levels while they are painting the studebaker they've got this rocking psychedelic funk music going on and the, the band encompasses just about all the muppet the main muppet performers jim henson frank oz jerry nelson Richard Hunt and Dave Goals, all of them working in tandem. And all of those characters have their own very distinct looks and personalities and voices. And it's, 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 you know, it's a, a mishmash of completely, you know, it's a completely motley assortment of Muppets. And I, and I think it's, 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 there's so much fun. And I, I love that they get their own number in this film where obviously, you know, Kermit and Miss Piggy and Fozzie and, Gonzo all have lots of airtime and music time. I love that he carves out a, a space for the, the electric mayhem here. And the fact that they're getting an upcoming sitcom on Disney Plus just warms my heart. I want more electric mayhem. Our, our friend Kevin Smith, not that Kevin Smith, our Kevin Smith sure. on Twitter made sure that we talked about how the music of the Electric Mayhem is so wonderful. I wish that there was more of it on Spotify. I want more Electric Mayhem. And again, Matt Vogel is bringing us more Electric Mayhem on Disney Plus coming up real soon. They're filming it right now, as a matter of fact. How do you, how do you, do you have faith in that project considering yes. the recent Disney output with Muppet, you know, with regards to the Muppet is sort of hit and miss depending. After the 
Muppets Haunted Mansion movie from last year, I have a lot more faith in the Electric Mayhem project. It is the same writer that wrote the Haunted Mansion movie, along with Adam F. Goldberg from the Goldbergs, who has, of course, a long history with the Muppets, being the nostalgic kid from the 80s that he is. I have a lot of faith in what they're going to be able to bring musically and comically in that sitcom. It does sort of feel to me a little bit like they're the Disney or somebody behind the scenes there is sort of writing that ship because it it has felt, you know, I've been I've missed my consistent fix of Muppet content. We had the 2011 and then Muppets Most Wanted and then the ABC series that didn't take off very much. And and then it's kind of been like, well, what are they doing? Muppets now. OK. And then, you know, then Muppets Haunted Mansion. Now they're starting to kind of gain momentum. So that I agree with you. I, I, I have I, I'm optimistic about the future of things. And the fact that we haven't had a project strictly focused on the electric mayhem like that, I think bodes well as well. They're not trying to, they're not trying to anchor the next, the next thing with Kermit. I think that's another good, good idea because Matt Vogel is still relatively fresh to this role. Kind of like what they did with Steve Whitmire in Muppet Christmas Carol. They gave him a song and then he was kind of disappeared for a lot of the movie because easing people into a new voice as Kermit. I think that's a good idea as well. Sort of turning the spotlight on the deep bench of Muppet characters that we have, I think is is a smart idea for sure. And I think the universe building that Disney has been doing with all of their properties has been really changed in the last two or three years. Obviously the universe building at the Marvel series is just phenomenal. Those characters, that huge amount of different types of characters from across the planet coming together to work together. I think that they're trying to do that now with star Wars. Finally, after maybe, maybe a, a strikeout three in a row. And now with, with, the Muppets, I think that they've learned their lesson and they're trying to involve as many different characters as they can and behind the scenes as many different characters as they can to get to something that's special. Yeah, yeah. I think they're, they they seem like they're getting more on, on the right track. It's, it, I, I want to back, take a sidestep here and, and shift over since now we're kind of going, I guess we're moving around in song format at this point. Miss Piggy, Pierre is of course a beauty queen because naturally most ridiculous moment in the movie you're not gonna you're not gonna figure out who it is folks says charlie mccarthy yeah it's miss piggy <laughs> well where did that's where the miss comes from she's a miss she's a you know miss bogan county or whatever it is so you know that's that she she clings to that title she's a beauty queen and i, I love the, seeing the origin of the miss piggy kermit romance the fact that, of course, she falls much more harder, much harder for him than he does for her. But he's also like, well, not right, not right now, Fozzie. Like, I'm, I'm, in, I'm in the zone here. Mm -hmm. uh, th this pig and I are having a staring contest because that's been sort of that was sort of the running thing on the Muppet Show. She's really into him. He's into her, but he's a little bit like gives her the cold shoulder. So you get a you get sort of that dynamic sort of setting up here. And then Never Before, Never Again is is both a parody of sort of romantic stereotypes, but it's also but it's also very earnest in its own sentimentality. Like this is real for Miss Piggy. Like she's not she's not phoning it in. It's she's already immediately fantasizing about their wedding. You know, it it has a, it it has fun with these characters and the absurdity of a a a pig and a frog, let alone you know 
not to mention the fact that they're puppets who fall for each other and like kind of a love it for a side environment. But it's also doesn't betray sort of those characters and that that's real for them. And I, I love that. It doesn't it sort of has its has its cake and needs it too in that regard. And their relationship does that forever. That is their relationship is they absolutely love each other. But at the same time, Kermit is always apprehensive. He's always thinking, oh boy, she's a little bracing. She's a little hard to take the piggy. She's a, she's a little bit much sometimes. Sometimes she's a little overwhelming, but it works so well. There's so many relationships that, that work that way, my friend. (laughs) <laughs> and we get our we get our first uh, kind of big screen berserker piggy when she just completely loses it and and goes goes ham pun intended on on you know Mel Brooks and all of those guys. I, I love that scene as well. Seeing Miss Piggy go uh, feral, I guess, I, including I love some of the little people in costume at yes. playing Piggy. There's there's so much interesting puppeteering going on in there. Those full body puppets i i I love when i see that moment in that switch and and understand what's happening yeah it's great it's great they of course before piggy they meet gonzo who is another one of those muppets that i feel like for me only gets better the more you grow up and the more you realize how important he what he represents is to this whole thing about embracing what makes you different what makes you unique why Others might call you weird. Even Fozzie here early on is like, we picked up a weirdo. And so mm-hmm. I love that they have a character like that who is even more out there than the rest of them, who feels like an outsider, an outsider even in this group. And, and, and I love... Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. In a group of outsiders, Gonzo is the outsider of the outsiders. And I, yeah. again... As a person who puts on musical theater performances, weirdos are the backbone of musical theater. We are those weirdos. We are those people that decide we're going to spend money to make people happy in an effort maybe to make back the money that we spent. Maybe, maybe not. But we, the weirdos, the the fringe people that really care. Gonzo truly cares about Camilla, his chicken girlfriend, which is the weirdest thing that I think the Muppets ever came up with, quite honestly. But he is so true to what he says. He is not fake in any way until we get to the Jason Siegel movie where he's the the plumber king and they're like oh you're you've changed gonzo and he's like no i've been wearing the costume under my <laughs> my suit for 25 years <laughs> yeah exactly now he's he's pure passion he 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 is the the epitome of i just want to do this like i don't care what happens like shoot me out of a cannon that sounds you know that sounds fun i just want to do something cool and and make a make my mark on this world and be the great guy. That's to your to, you know you mentioned the Muppets Haunted Mansion a couple of times. Again, a, a, a Muppet property that feels like it really kind of gets Gonzo to mm-hmm. a certain extent. And so I love that he's a character that that can that you know the Muppet franchise continually puts emphasis on because he he you know we'll talk about Muppets from Space later on <laughs> in the mm-hmm. series and eh, there are elements of that that I like and elements of that that not so much, but. One thing that really works, especially in hindsight, is I'm going to go back there someday. In high, even with the with Muppets from Space, it feels like a way sort of foreshadowing that he's looking up at the sky, wondering you know, where his place is. And I, I love that 
sort of reflective number in the middle of this this wacky movie. Mm -hmm. And and what a wacky number that is. What a what a strange psychedelic trip that that song is in the middle of this strange trip of these (laughs) Muppets living in our world. Well, you also have like immediately after that, Kermit goes on his vision quest walk, Mm -hmm. essentially. And I really, I, I love that. That's it's, this is the kind of moment that you don't see in children's entertainment period, but even Muppet stuff you so rarely see now where the character is just taking time out to kind of unpack his own feelings where Kermit's literally talking to himself. Yeah. And thoughts. And he's, he says, Oh, I didn't promise anybody. And it's like, Oh, you know, it's like, I believe in the dream. You do? Yeah, of course I do. And it's like, I promised me. Like, I love that. It's such a beautiful sentiment in a movie that is ostensibly for kids. But again, like we've said multiple times, not really. It's really for everyone. And it, it's it's that sort of, it's kind of an existential moment that's really more for adults than it is for kids. And, and it's it always really sticks out to me as such a, a beautiful character moment. Those messages that Jim Henson was bringing to this idea of these Muppets, bringing those higher level thinking, introspective moments and understanding who you are and acting upon that in a way that makes people happy. That's, that's beautiful. I I don't know. That's 1979 that there's a lot of timeliness to that message and the psychedelic piece of that and quite possibly drugs, but there's (laughs) what you're saying. Are you saying, Zoot might not just have a, a his memory problem. It's, it's like skip <laughs> the groove again. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, there might be some drugs involved in some of these <laughs> just messages, but to to the point of joy, friendship following your dreams, finding happiness, not just for yourself, but for millions of people. That's beautiful. Yeah, it's the like Kermit says, his his is the kind of dream that gets better the more you share it with. And and it it's establishes the big point of why it's so important that this movie shows the Muppets all meeting is that they all have this goal in common. They have this dream in common. And, and as Kermit says, it makes them a family, essentially, mm-hmm. in the end of the day. Mm-hmm. And they they go to worldwide studios and they stand up for what they believe in. They're like, we want a chance to make our dreams come true. And they, you know, they they take advantage of Cloris Leachman's allergy, which isn't, you know, not particularly the nicest thing. But you know, again, they're a little on the edge these 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 guys. But they go in there and they they stand in front of Orson Welles, and they're like, "Here we are. We have something unique to say." And he immediately gives them their contract, which you know, I, no that's how it works, that. right? You, you no questions asked. Orson Welles walk has the studio executive's office. You're like, "Hey, me, right?" And he's like. Give him the standard rich and famous contract. I'm like, all right, there you go. go and on. I don't know that there's any actor that was more perfect for that role than Orson Welles. Yes. Just that man sitting in that chair with that scowl on his face and has nothing to say. He says nothing to the Muppets. They present their case and he goes, yeah, okay. Yeah. No sure. questions. Like, what, what do you guys do? What are your, what's your vibe? Right. He's just like, I have a good feeling about you. He's like, yeah, no one, no one represents kind of old Hollywood more than Orson Welles at that point. Uh, Absolutely. So, so it's, that's exactly what they're going for and it works. But, but even like, even with Doc Hopper, they, 
Kermit refuses to run away. Stand up to stand up to bullies, like to be true to who you are. And and even though even though Doc Hopper doesn't doesn't go for it, he doesn't. Uh, he's not able to appeal to his non-existent good nature. Basically, he he takes a stand and and he wears some kind of badass cowboy boots and hat when he does it. Like I love that we get Kermit dressed up in full cowboy regalia for that sort of western kind of standoff, which is really once cool. again that that nod to that genre there's so many genres that are presented in this as a part of entertainment in 1979 not just comedy not just vaudeville not just the road trip movie there everything everything is in here it's quintessential hollywood is sort of what they're going for Mm -hmm. i think and and yeah it's it, it just works. I don't know. It's it's amazing. If the Oscars have taught me anything, that's how you win an Oscar. You win an Oscar for making a Hollywood movie about Hollywood. Right. Yeah. Ex- where? Yeah, exactly. I, it should have one best original song, in my opinion, at least. But, you know, what are you going to do? They gave it to Man or Muppet like 30 years later, which is not nearly as good as anything in this film. But, you know, okay, whatever. Where, where was Beaker's best supporting actor statue? That's all I got to say. I just love Beaker. Beaker is I love Beaker too. Beaker is, is like the grandfather of the minions, those despicable memes. He is. That That's a good speak. call. I like uh-huh. that one. Yeah, he totally is. Uh-huh. That brand of comedy where where he is not speaking English, he is not sharing his thoughts, but on the other level, he's absolutely expressing his feelings. We know what he means even if we don't know what he says. Yeah. Exactly. No. And yeah, Beaker is Beaker is definitely one of the more underrated Muppets, in my opinion. Like he's up there for me. I think, is there anything more specific you wanted to mention about the Muppet movie before we, before we move on here? Because well, I, I, I'm favorite I'll moments. My Some of, we, we reached out on Twitter and we asked our listeners for their favorite moments. Chaz Kangas from The Current in Minneapolis says every time his GPS says bear left, he instinctively (laughs) responds, right, frog. (laughs) (laughs) That's a a wonderful moment. I think about that all the time. When I was teaching my 16-year-old to drive, I would not respond to yes or no questions with right. I would only respond with correct because every time I think about right, I think bear left, right, frog. (laughs) I'm not wrong. One of my favorite lines is is Aurora Borealis shining down to Dallas. There's just something about that rhyme that gets me every time I'm listening to that song. Good grief, it's a running gag is something that I think all the time, whether or not I actually say it out loud in class. But when I say the same thing over and over again, I see that look on my students' faces like, oh, he said, he said that again. And then I think, oh, good grief, it's a running gag. <laughs> and you mentioned you mentioned a bear in his natural habitat, a Studebaker. That, that is just so silly. Yeah, his uncle's just hibernating, too. I like that, too. He's like, oh, did he die? No, he's hibernating. He oh, he's just hibernating. <laughs> <laughs> what are you, some of your favorite moments? Oh, God. There's, there's a lot. It's, it's pretty, I mean, it's... It's the whole movie. It, there's, there's about... The whole movie, basically, yeah. It's, yeah. I like the, the myth, myth. Yes. Like Carol Kane popping up. I think that's really funny because why is she showing up in the middle of the road? I, oh, the, the hair. Why is she standing there? How did she get there? What's the backstory? We need a prequel to how Carol Kane was behind that sign at that moment. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Oh, 
Fozzie on stage and he says, there was a sailor who was so fat and he says, how fat was he? And he breaks the bottle. He says, oh, he was so fat that everybody liked him and there was nothing funny about him at all. Like, I love that. Motorcycle cop was a sweet nothing. All of this, everything, all of it. It's, it, yeah, it's, it's unfair because I, I'm just going to re, re, repeat the entire movie is what's going to happen. Everything that, everything Kermit and Fozzie and all of that. Oh, Gonzo in the car jumping up and down. What are you doing? I'm like, oh, I'm hopping mad. Yeah, all of the, they don't look like Presbyterians to me. All of the, everything that's, it's, Another it's perfect, joke. It's a perfect Muppet movie. It's, it's like, Another joke that Mel Brooks kind of stole for Spaceballs, right? Well, she doesn't look Druish. Yeah, yeah, like, absolutely. Like Presbyterians to me. I just love the the voice, the voice of Jim Henson doing his impression of Frank Oz as Fozzie Bear doing that line. They don't look like Presbyterians to me. That cracks me up. But again, back <laughs> to that relationship between those two men, the acting, the friendship that that those two men bring to this story. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's it's great. I I I don't know what else to say other than it's it's probably one of my it's easily one of my favorite movies I've covered on a podcast, I think. It's up there. It's such an a, an integral part of my childhood and still kind of remains one of my favorite movies, I would say, and certainly a high watermark for the Muppets, I think. It is it's so I think transitioning from there, what and this is a big question. I feel like we've sort of touched on it already. But what is what do you feel like is the legacy of the Muppets? I guess cinematically. Let's let's t- let's take it there. The filmmaking of this movie certainly led to other comedies trying to get the same sense of friendship and universe that is created in this silly puppet show in 1979 the cinematic adventures of these characters again we think of them as characters they are not actors they're not puppets they are characters and the adventures that continue cinematically from here pale in comparison to this original and they they try so hard in the disney era to make something happen because they they paid a lot of money for the muppets and nothing nothing compares to this original yeah i agree that 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 makes that makes the my next question a little anticlimactic but what is what is your ranking of the eight theatrically released muppet movies because i don't have the we don't we don't have enough airtime for every Muppet project ever because there is a lot of them. But you are endeavoring to go through the eight cinematic movies on this mega. You you are you are doing the Lord's work, my friend. So. I am. I well, it, it reaches a certain point where it's like you to your point earlier about making millions of people or however many like, like however many people listen to this episode. It, it, it's. It reaches a point where it's like, I could do the latest Marvel movie or whatever. I just did the the Spider-Man Sam Raimi trilogy on this podcast. And, and you know, I'm, I'm going to do the Dark Knight trilogy, I think, later this year or something around there. It's also like, it ultimately boils down to what am I passionate about? What do I, what do I want to talk about for what has this been like an hour and a half for this episode? What do I want to have eight episodes to record? I'm like, I could always do with a little more Muppets. And I think it's a franchise that could use a little bit of freshening up, especially like we said, they're sort of in a 
kind of warming up period, I think, of this franchise. So I, I, you know, it's 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 a it's a pleasure to to have the opportunity to be able to do that on a podcast or elsewhere. Because I'd be thinking and talking about the Muppets anywhere, but if it's 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 more productive to talk to you and put it out there on the internet than to just annoy my wife and be like, "But the, wait, you, did you know how how they were able to? They made a that's sixty foot animal." Twitter's for. Like, that's what Twitter's yeah, exactly. for, Rob. That's that's why I put this out on Twitter and ask our listeners to to comment yeah. on it because there's so many people that have such great memories. The nostalgia for 1979, the nostalgia for the Muppets is very strong. It's very deep. So we're ranking the eight theatrical movies. Yeah. Number one, I have to put the Muppet movie 1979. This is the best Muppet movie. And it's amazing to think how well this was put together, how the story works so well with the characters and the music, the music. There's no movie that has better music on the Muppet repertoire. Number two, in my opinion, is the Jason Segel, the Muppets from 2011. That being a love letter from that middle-aged man to what he experienced with the Muppet show. I have a very personal connection with these characters because of what they were for me in my youth. That nostalgia is so strong. Number three on my list is the Muppet Christmas Carol 1992. The music in that is beautiful. It's not as wonderful as the Muppet movie, but it is beautiful. The sentiment, the story, the Dickens Christmas Carol is a wonderful story. We we did a whole series on too much scrolling of all of the Dickens Christmas stories. By the way, there's more than just a Christmas Carol. The others stink. Just just stick with a Christmas Carol. It's wonderful. There's a right. reason we haven't heard about them is what you're saying. <laughs> I'm going to cheat and say the Muppets Haunted Mansion. I know it's not theatrical. Stop it. Number four on my list is the Muppets Haunted Mansion. Number five, the Great Muppet Caper. I have a very clear memory of going to the theater in 1981 and seeing the Great Muppet Caper and the silly situation that that they decided to write in that movie with the twins Fozzie and Kermit as (laughs) newspaper reporters that brought me so much joy especially when they showed the picture of their father that was a hybrid between a frog and a bear that's joyous that's number five on my list we'll get to that next episode people can hear my thoughts on that Number six, Muppets Take Manhattan. I do love musical theater. I love Broadway. I love bringing the Muppets to Broadway, but there's just, it doesn't get onto my top five. It is not a great storytelling device, that one. Muppet Treasure Island is number seven on my list, followed by Muppets from Space from 1999, which left me flat a little bit, and The Muppets Most Wanted, which I got to tell you, that one, that one is not a good movie. I did not enjoy Muppets Most Wanted in 2014. What what specifically about Muppets Most Wanted? Because that is the most recent Muppet movie as of, you know, well, yeah, theatrically cool. released. Yeah. What is you, what is it about that that you feel like it misses? Like what is that's the other thing about this mega series that I think is interesting. It's like tracking this franchise and its ups and downs through Jim Henson's passing, through its acquisition by Disney. Like, what is it about that that you think is just doesn't feel Muppety enough, I guess, especially coming off of the 2011 film that you ranked so highly? 
Precisely. That is you, that's exactly the problem with it. It suffers from sequelitis. It is that cash grab the Muppets 2011 Jason Segel love letter to the Muppets, bringing up all that nostalgia, bringing all of the heart and soul of these characters. Somebody at Disney went, make that movie again. And so they tried <laughs> to make a wacky European vacation. I don't know if you've ever watched National Lampoon's European vacation. Yeah, totally. It's it's a cash grab. It's a sequelitis. It does not work on the same level as the original. Muppets Most Wanted didn't work for me. It didn't have the heart. It doesn't have that spirit of, I am going to make people happy. Nope. It's all about hijinks and, and silliness. The opening number is literally like, the studio considers us a viable franchise. We're doing a yeah. sequel. Even though the savory one knows the sequel isn't quite as good. And you're like, yep. 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 Pretty much. That, that is precisely what they made. They they like Disney, said it on the yeah. on the label. Yeah. Yeah. Disney, you don't get credit for calling yourself out about how this is not as good as what you literally just released three years ago. Um, right. <laughs> I, oh, I that's fair. I did not enjoy that movie one bit. It came out on my birthday too. And I, I brought the whole family to go watch oh, it because no. it was a Muppet movie on my birthday. And I was so happy. And then suddenly I was so disappointed. Oh God. I'm so sorry. Then there's two oh. more movies on my list that are not, they don't exist. A very merry Muppet Christmas movie from 2002 and the Muppet Wizard of Oz. Those movies do not exist. Is it is 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 the non-existent Wizard of Oz? Is that the bottom one? Yes. Of those two? Yeah. yeah. God. Yes. I saw it one time and I was like, I, I this what is this? Why is this? It's nothing. Where is this? <laughs> what? It, it doesn't it? have just... any of the whimsy of the Muppets. It doesn't have any of the fear of the Wizard of Oz. It has neither thing. It is nothing. Yeah, it's it's the probably easily the worst Muppet movie. And probably one of the worst adaptations of Wizard of Oz. Like, how do you kill two great things in one movie? That's how you do it. Exactly there, like that. There's your example right there. <laughs> um, on ABC. God, it was, it was very bad. You know, and I'm, a, and I'm a completist when it comes to franchises that I love. And even I'm like, yeah, no, get away from me. You, I, you're dead to me, Muppets yeah. Wizard of Oz. Nope. Um, <laughs> that was the breaking point for both of us. I, I'm glad we agree on that. And I agree with you, Muppet movie, easily. The, the highway, it's all downhill. For listeners, it's all downhill from here. That for years, Rob. You've been saying that from the beginning of your podcast. <laughs> That's true. That's true. That's true. I appreciate those of you who are still here. Steve, this was so much fun. You're welcome back here anytime. Either this show or Close Watch, we definitely need to do this again. Tell people where they can find you on social media. I am all over social media. My podcast is called Too Much Scrolling. You can check us out on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. We're on iTunes and Stitcher and TuneIn Radio. And you can always ask your smart speaker to play the latest episode of Too Much Scrolling. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. And I and people hang around for the great Muppet Caper next episode. But in the meantime, yeah, this was a blast, Steve. Thanks so much. Oh, oh sorry about that. Two, three, four. Big thanks to Stephen Fodor of Too Much Scrolling for coming on to discuss 1979's The Muppet Movie. And of course, a huge shout out to Kermit the Frog himself for bobbing up to help us kickstart 
our Muppet Mega Series. Very excited to dig into these films. It's a franchise that's obviously, as you heard in this episode, means a lot to me. So to get the chance to collaborate with Kermit himself to start it all off and then to dig into these films with such exciting uh, lineup of guests is a true, true treat. And I hope you guys enjoy it. Now, I want to know, do you agree with Steve that the Muppet movie remains the cinematic high point for this franchise? Or is the best Muppet film still further down the road? Let me know. You can find me on Twitter at Crooked Table, the same handle on Instagram, and via email at robert at crookedtable.com. For now, that's a wrap on another Crooked Table production. Moving right along, and we'll see you down the road, everyone. This has been a production of CrookedTable.com. All rights reserved. Z-R-O-O-K-E-D.